Church at Avenue South, we're going to continue worshiping by reading God's Word together. And if you have a Bible or you want to follow along with us on your phone, we're going to be in Luke's Gospel. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke for several weeks, and we're going to be in chapter 4 today. I do want to share something real quickly with you before we dig into the text. Uh, I have been asked as a pastor in the last 72 hours, my, my evaluation, my take, my assessment of what we've seen in our nation this week. And one of the things I want you to know is that when we see things and we feel things, let me just say this real quickly, God cares about what we care about. God cares about what we care about. And as I watched things unfold in our nation's capital on Wednesday, one of the things I was very mindful of, and as I listened to our members, I listened to our hopes, our dreams, our, our fears, our concerns, our anxiety, our angst, our, our cries for, for justice, for hope. Listen, one of the things I want you to know is that I was asked as a pastor what I thought about what I was seeing. I want to tell you I'm a pastor speaking to the people of God. And the first thing, I spoke about this, I shared a a devotional on Thursday on on Instagram and on Facebook. If you want to dig into that more, please go to our social media, follow us there. I spoke in depth about it. But one of the things I want you to know is that this is the first thing that came to my mind as I watched and saw in all this. In Revelation 22, the last chapter of the Bible, three times Jesus says, I'm coming soon. He says, I'm coming soon. And my prayer for the last three days, as it should be all the time, is amen, come Lord Jesus. That was John's response. Amen, come Lord Jesus. And what that means is that we are praying and we declare when we're saying, come Lord Jesus, is we're saying we trust you, we follow you, we worship you, we listen to you, we care more about what you think. We align ourselves with you more than any woman or man or any leader on this planet. That's what that means, and that's what our prayer should be this year. The second thing is, Scripture, and specifically the book of Romans, says we should promote peace. As much as it's up to us, we should promote peace. Listen, you and I can't control what somebody else says or what they, does, what they do, but we know that God is a God of order. He is a God that cares about the flourishing of all things. And sin stains that. It messes that up. But you and I should do everything we can to promote peace. And so one of the things I noticed is anytime I looked on social media just to keep up with things, man, it, it just it stirred my heart. It ripped into my emotions. And I don't know if you feel that way, but for some of us, we may need to just fast from social media for a while. That doesn't mean you don't care about current events. It doesn't mean you're not using technology to disciple and make disciples of others, but you may need to fast from that. What Amy and I talked about in our kitchen was when we got off of those things, when we stopped watching TV, our hearts were more calm. They were more at peace. Again, longer discussions and conversations for us in the future about what we're seeing, but please, church, do everything you can to promote peace on social media. You do not need to reply to everything. We don't need to have a take on everything. Do what you can to promote peace among the body and among people in the community. And then thirdly, love your neighbor. I mentioned this, love your neighbor. If you and I, here's what I thought. If I would just take care of and do everything I can to love Bill and Lucy next door and Dirk and Claire over here and just say, I love you, I care about you, what can I do to serve you, what can I do? Like to check on our little piece of the kingdom, if you will. If you and I would just love God and love our neighbor well, there's enough ministry and enough mission of God right there that the Lord will reveal to us what the next steps are as a people. So that's one of the things I wanted to share with you about that. I see it. I want to remind you that we are the people of God, and we put our hope and we put our trust in him. And there could not be a better text for us right now historically and right now this morning than the text that we're going to be reading and digging into this morning. So here's what I think is totally appropriate. Would you stand with me, if you're in this room, if you're watching online and you're in the living room, uh, if you're seated on your couch or maybe in a coffee shop, I'm going to ask you to stand, as unusual as that may be, to stand up in your living room, opening up scripture, 
Because this is us declaring there's no authority like you, God. And as you speak through your scripture, you're here, we worship you, and we feel the weight of that reverence, okay? And so this is exactly what Luke's gospel says to us. Chapter 4, let's start in verse 16. It says, He, that's Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And unrolling the scroll, Jesus found his place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, and he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. And Jesus began saying to them, Today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. And they were all speaking well of him and were amazed by the gracious words that came from his mouth. Yet they said, Isn't this the carpenter's son? They were all amazed at how Jesus preached and what he spoke, but yet they doubted. Isn't he just Joseph's son? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, in this place, we acknowledge, like, this is the room, this is the place. The church is brick and mortar. I know we as a church know that, but this is the place that you have been so good to give us to come together the first day of the week to worship and to declare our allegiance to you. And Lord, I pray that there is something we can see and something we can learn. Open the eyes and ears of our heart to see and to hear the truth of your word and exactly what you came to do for us right now. And I pray that we would not leave here saying, man, that's, that's good stuff. But isn't he just a carpenter's son? I pray that we would leave here this morning, wherever we may be listening to this throughout the week, that we would walk away from this text saying there's no one like Jesus, and no one can do for us what the Son of God can. And it is in your name we say and we pray all of these things, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, if you've been tracking with us through the book of Luke, you know that these events, and one of the things I want to encourage you to do is read through the book of Luke. It's not that hard. It's not that difficult. It won't take you that long. But we're in chapter 4 this week, and after Jesus' baptism that we saw last week, he was led into the wilderness where he was tempted for 40 days by Satan, his adversary, our enemy as well. Jesus comes out of the wilderness, and that's one of the things I shared with you in the, in, in the month of December. John the Baptist himself had his wilderness experience, but literally stepped out of the wilderness into the moments that God had been preparing him for. Jesus spent much time, 40 days, that we just saw in the earlier part of this chapter in the wilderness, and then stepped out of the wilderness into public ministry. A good reminder for all of us in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of hardship, The Lord always leads his people out of the wilderness. This will not last forever. Disease, sickness, pandemic, hardship, strife, tension, nationally, globally, 
y'all. It will not last forever. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus. We're ready for you to return. Jesus steps out of the wilderness and into public ministry. And chapter 4 tells us that when Jesus began his public ministry, he began preaching and teaching in the area of Galilee, the Galilee. And one of the places he went first was Nazareth. Now, most of you know Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but it is Jesus of Nazareth. And it's not very far from where he was baptized in the Jordan. So Jesus, after his temptation in the wilderness, begins his public ministry. He makes his way to his hometown of Nazareth, and he steps into the synagogue. Now, synagogue literally means gathering place. That's what it means, gathering place. And the Bible says where he had been brought up, he stepped into the synagogue, as was his usual custom on the Sabbath. Jesus goes into the synagogue, and the Bible says he stood up to read in verse 16. What that literally means is the attendant or the facilitator of the synagogue called on him, summoned Jesus to read. And when you read, you were seated in the synagogue, you would stand up, you would walk to the podium, you would walk to the lectern, you would walk to the place of public reading. Jesus stood up and he goes to read. And the Bible says in verse 17, he found the place. What this literally means in the original language is like he didn't have to really go searching. He opens up the scroll and it is prepared for him to read from exactly what God wants to say to that group of people. And when we read the scripture in 2021, this is exactly what the Lord has prepared for us to hear this morning. Listen, don't ever forget that before we come into this room on Sunday, before we worship as a church, the Lord is, if you will, priming the pump to prepare our hearts to receive what it is he wants us to know. There are some of us this week that have been excited. The Lord's been preparing our hearts that even in the midst of of hardship and confusion, we can't wait to worship Jesus. And, And we come leaning in this morning. There are others of us that the Lord has been preparing us that we're restless, like a holy discontent in a good way. Like, Lord, I know you're stirring up something. I'm not sure what it is. But I I come on Sunday and I lean in with my brothers and my sisters and I'm ready to hear what it is you had to say to me. And others of us are restless from conviction or we we feel like, Lord, I, I know there are things in my life that I need to change, that I need to address. And the Lord has primed the pump to bring us to this hopeful moment. And that's what was happening in the synagogue. God was at work in these people's lives. He's at work in our lives. And when Jesus read, he read, as Matthew shared with us, our good friend Ben Carmel shared with us from Isaiah 61. Jesus opens the scroll and he reads. And let me just reread this again. Look with me in verse 18. Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. That means I have authority from God because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, proclaim release of the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set free the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is the mission of Jesus. This right here, if you want to know what is Jesus about, yes, his sole purpose was to come into the earth, to become God in the flesh, so that he could make his way to the cross at Calvary and offer his pure, perfect, divine, spotless, unblemished humanity in exchange for our brokenness, to absorb our sins on the cross, absolutely. But as Jesus lived and throughout his public ministry, he said, this is my mission. So if you literally have never known and you want to know, like, what was Jesus all about? What was his mission while he was on earth? It's right here. Jesus says, today this has been fulfilled. In other words, like, that's what I'm all about. And by extension, if Jesus lives in you, if Jesus lives in me, if Jesus lives in us, this is our mission. This is our mission, to preach good news to the poor. That literally means Physical poverty, it also means spiritual poverty. 
It means those who may not have access to what they need. You heard Matthew share earlier that one of the things we as a staff have become convinced about, we, we did not have a food pantry here at the church before the pandemic started. Now, one of the things we're so grateful for is the partnership we have with Dr. Sanders, the principal at Carter Lawrence Elementary, and the fact that they would allow us to come serve and minister and bless. And listen, public, private, homeschool, educators, it has been an incredibly hard year. We have a lot of educators in our church. We are so grateful for the hard work that you are often doing unseen. Dr. Sanders allows us to come into that school. We've been a partner there for over five years, and we've done some food provision throughout the years. But throughout this past year, we began to mobilize the church to provide a food pantry here on our campus that we can administer to children. Like if Metro's not in school and has not been for months and may not be for a while, 90 plus percent of the students at Carter Lawrence are on free and reduced lunch. Okay? Our responsibility is to be faithful to what God's called us to do, to address even food insecurity. That is a type of poverty, right? So we will be committed. This is an until Jesus returns sort of thing. If you're tired of hearing Matthew say, hey, we need help in the food pantry. If you're like, I, I got it, but what other messages do we have? Like, you're going to continue to hear that from us. Because by extension, this is our mission. Now, we can't do what Jesus can do for an individual. But we can be his hands and his feet, right? There are multiple things that God's called us to do. And I'm excited over the next several weeks about talking about the individual strategic ways that we can take up the mission of Jesus, that this is his mission, we join him in this mission. This is our mission. And we have the privilege of translating that into our culture and our context in this year. Now, one of the things that's interesting about what Jesus is doing and the words he uses here is this. I want you to notice something. If you have your Bible open, look in verse 17. My translation says he unrolled. He unrolled the scroll. Now, your Bible may say he opened the scroll. All right? So if you have a pen, I see many of you do, I want you to underline the word unrolled. I want you to underline or circle the word opened in your Bible. Jesus opened, he unrolled the scroll. And then the Bible says, after he finished reading, the Bible says that he rolled up. It's exactly what it says there in verse 20. He rolled up, he closed. I want you to circle, underline, note that word. Now here's why I want you to know this. To read a scroll, yeah, duh, obviously, you got to unroll it, you got to open it, you got to close it. That was a normal rhythm of worship in the synagogue. Here's what's fascinating, and I love when God and his Holy Spirit teach you something, a nugget about Scripture that you've never seen before. I'm 44 years old, and the Lord revealed and showed something in the text that I had never known before this week. Now, remember Luke, what did he do for vocation? Luke was a physician. He's a doctor. He's in health care. Let me again say how grateful we are for those of you in this congregation who are doing, women and men who are doing courageous and heroic frontline work just like Luke was. He was a follower of Jesus. And his work led him into places that pastors and ministers and priests did not get to go or didn't have access to. I love that part about the diversity of gifts and callings in the church. When Luke says Jesus unrolled or he opened, the Greek word there is it's only used once in the New Testament. As far as I can examine, like it's only used this once in the New Testament. And it literally means like making an incision or opening up the body to examine various organs. Now listen, Matthew, Mark, the other gospel writers, they, they, they share this, you know, th this, this circumstance, this situation with Jesus, but they don't use that word. Luke does. And that's how you know the different writers, all inspired by the Holy Spirit, 
wrote and communicated in a way that was understandable to them and the audience they were speaking to. But he says, this is open. It's like a physician who opens you up and works on the organs on the inside. Now, the word for closed literally means like to bandage up, to bind up. It's only used here in the New Testament. Now, if we just read in the English and we're like, Jesus opened the scroll, he closed the scroll. Okay, cool. Well, we do that, right? Stand up. We open our Bibles. We close our Bibles. Doesn't doesn't seem like a big deal. It's just part of worship, right? But do not miss what Jesus is saying to this crowd. Jesus is saying, yes, I have come to set the oppressed free. I have come to restore sight to the blind. I've come to do ministry. I've come. This is my mission, yes. But what he's saying to the audience in there, he's speaking to each of them as individuals, not just the congregation. He's speaking to individuals. He's saying, I have come to open up your heart, to open up your life in a way to do things inside of you that you can't get anywhere else. And what Jesus offers is when he says to bring captives free or to release the captives. When Jesus said that, he's literally talking about leading, yes, physically shackled prisoners out. But he's also saying, I spiritually have come to liberate people that are in bondage to sin. I've literally come to set people free and lead them out of the dark prison that they sit in. Now, life is a grind, and 2020 is hard. 2021 is harder. Like, But my goodness, what a great word that Jesus is saying, y'all want to know what I came for? Anybody who's struggling, anybody who has a hardship, anybody who can't fix it through self-help, because like you and me trying to fix ourselves is going to have some limitations, right? Jesus says, I can lead you out of the prison that you're sitting in. I can help you in that. If you're captive, if you're, if you're in bondage to some sin or some temptation, Jesus says, I can lead you out of that. Jesus is saying when he, when he preaches this sermon, I've come for the recovery of sight to the blind. And what he's saying is, I've come to give spiritual eyes of hope to those who can't see it. Like how many of us need hope, right? We need hopeful things. John Krasinski last year, many of you know him from The Office. You know him from other things throughout uh, uh, streaming and Amazon, like Jack Ryan. Like one of the things he did was he talked about the good news that was happening in the world as he saw it. And there were tons of followers. There were tons of people who tuned in. And Amy and I were a little bummed when he quit doing his, his videos because every one of us are looking for something hopeful, right? We're looking for encouragement. And any, even the best of hope and encouragement that someone gives you, it's not eternal. At some point, it cannot last. And Jesus is saying, look, I can open up your soul. I can open up your life. He's talking to that room in the synagogue. He's talking to us this morning. And he's saying, I can open up your soul in a way that I can give you spiritual eyes where you can see hope in the midst of darkness. That's what keeps you moving, that there is a God. His name is Jesus, and he's promised to return and to redeem and restore all that is wrong and all that is broken. And we're so excited for that day. But he can also bring redemption and hope right now in the midst of it. Jesus is offering that. Jesus says, I've come to liberate those who are crushed by the weight of their sin and their mistakes. I've come to proclaim favor and salvation. And I'm ready to forgive and resolve all indebtedness. One of the things that would happen in that culture is every 50 years they would proclaim the year of Jubilee and debts would be forgiven. Jesus is saying, I can open up your soul in a way where I can forgive what you can't forgive yourself for. And I'm ready to proclaim paid in full. You don't owe the house anything any longer. And then he says, and you know what? 
After I do that surgery in your heart spiritually, I will close you up. I will bind you up compassionately, carefully, so that the change and transformation you long to see, because it happened in your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, it will come from the inside out. The transformation will come from the inside out. This is something Jesus offers that no one else can give anybody on the planet. Because how many of us have done the window dressing of spirituality, right? We, we've, we, we've behaved in a certain way. We've even dressed the part. We've, we've, we've tried to do everything we can. We've tried to attend church. We've tried to read our scripture. We've tried to uh, dress up and look like we're ready to worship God. Like a lot of window dressing. And it's fatiguing to try to change from the outside in, Right? It's exhausting, and many of us, it plays out in social media because we present through window dressing and the outer veneer a person that we want to be, but we know deep down inside we're not. And it's exhausting to have a shadow self. And Jesus says, I can liberate you from that because you can be fully known and fully loved. And Jesus says, I'll bind you up, and the healing and the transformation will take place from the inside out. Man, y'all, that's good stuff. You can't find that anywhere on this planet. Maybe for a little while. Maybe you can talk to somebody. You can read a book. You can make some changes. 2021, I don't know how many of you, it's day 10, how many of you are feeling shame and guilt over like blowing your resolutions? We're only a week and a half in, right? Hello, it happens. We're talking about lasting, permanent, eternal change. And one of the things that, that I have been a little bit discouraged about during the pandemic is like when you go to Sam's or Costco, they're not doing like the food sampling right now. Just shows you the depth of my spiritual fervor. Um, you know, I mean, hey, when you go in, you're pushing the buggy and the kids, Amy, you know, putting stuff in there and Amy won't let me go by myself because I always come home with something we don't need, right? But I love going to Costco and Sam's. And I love going to the food places because they're offering something. I'm like, yes. And you look, have anybody ever been guilty? Like you're like, oh, what are you selling here? What do you got? This looks good, right? And you taste it. and It's awesome. You're like, this is going to get me through till dinner. This is great. And like you hit every one of the stands. And for me, there is a moment where like the person then looks at you and says, well, you know, these are 1999. They grab the box, right? Or they say like, and if you'd like to take some home today. And in that moment, you're like, I just wanted to snack. Like I really didn't want to buy Am I the only one that's guilty of that, right? I'm like, oh, I, I, my kid, I gotta go catch my wife. I'll see you later. And you just run, right? Now, maybe I'm the only one who's ever done that. But a lot of times in life, we are intrigued, we're fascinated, we're like, man, that's good stuff. Oh gosh, now I gotta commit to that? Like, you're asking me, do I wanna do something in response to that? Like, I, ooh, I don't know about that. The room heard Jesus say, I'm the one you've been waiting on. There's nobody like me. You'll never find anyone like me. And it may be difficult, and you'll have to step out in faith, and it'll require transparency and humility and vulnerability. That's why we have biblical community in our church, because when you step out in faith and you say, the Lord is working on my heart, and it's hard, you need people to lock arms with you and say, we've been there. We're there now. Like, you can do this. We're in this together. That's why we need the church. The Lord not only brings us into salvation and relationship with him, he then places us in a family who loves us and cares about us, cheers loudly from the balcony of our life for us, and wants God's best for us. It'll be hard. It'll be difficult for some of us. But when you step out in faith, you know, this crowd was given that opportunity. You want what I got? I mean, did you notice what it says? Jesus sat down. Like, he read the scripture and he sat down. Now, if anybody's got a Jewish background, you may know this even better than I do. 
But one of the things that that you would do in the synagogue is you would read the text, and and it was normal to read some amount of prophecy, okay, something from the prophets. They read Isaiah 61. And then whoever was speaking that day, and it didn't just have to be the ruler or the leader of the synagogue, they would sit down, and when they sat down, they would preach while seated. They would proclaim the message while seated. So a lot of people are probably like, dude, that's good. And he like speak, wow, like the graciousness and the authority. And we've never heard that before. This is fascinating. And they're like, what's next? And Jesus sits down and he says, today, this has been fulfilled. In other words, I'm your man. You interested? That's the shortest sermon and invitation ever in the history of humanity. I just shared with you what I'm about, what I can do for you. What I can't do for you is choose to accept, receive, and lean in on that. you got to do that. You interested? And like a middle-aged man running from the sample station at Costco, they said, man, this is good stuff, but wait a minute. Isn't he just the carpenter's son? Hold on just a second. His, His dad, Joseph, is a carpenter, right? Like, A lot of scholars debate whether or not this was like amazement, just, just, we can't get our, our minds around. Like, could it really be the Messiah? Or was it like, dude, you're good, but you're not that good. You're good, but you're not the one. See, for so many of them, they wanted Jesus when he said, I have come, come to proclaim freedom and liberation for the oppressed. They wanted him to throw off the shackles of the Roman Empire. They wanted systemic change in their world. And Jesus is simply saying, why why don't we start with you? Why don't we just start with you? Listen, the, the change we want to see in our world starts with me. It starts with you. Before we try to tell anybody else how they should be changing, what they should be doing, that you know the problem with our world is? It's me. It's you. And one of the things I've noticed is very seldom does, does Jesus speak about changing at a societal level. He does. But immensely more, he talks about transformation at the heart level individually. Because as we change, okay, here's the deal. If we're after justice if we're after righteousness, if we're after things that are orderly, if, we're after, if, if you feel like what's happening in the world is not right, you're not being heard, like, listen, you want to address what's wrong and you're burdened over it, you and I will never find eternal answers apart from the righteousness of Christ. It's bound up in the person of Jesus, and he says, I can do it, but why don't we start with your heart first? And as you change, then you can influence in a just, righteous, peaceful, godly way the place where you work, the place where you converse with people, the third spaces, Radnor Lake, the coffee shop, your living room, your apartment community. Why don't we start with you? And then we'll go from there. You know, as I read this text, that's convicting for me. The Lord's saying, let's, let's work on your heart. But he's also saying that to all of us. Let's, let's work on you. So one of the things that I was so mindful of is how important it was. I mean, Jesus literally gave a public invitation. How important it is. When I was was seven years old, 1984, and the pastor preached the message, and I had been feeling like I wanted to respond. And so on Sundays at our church, they would give a public invitation. 
And I remember as a seven-year-old, I was like mortified to go down front in front of like four or 500 people. But the pastor believed, look, when you get there, I will meet you. I will be there with other staff members to shake your hand to meet you so that you don't stand alone. But you have to step out in faith. Nobody can force you to do that. And that's one of the things I love about Jesus. Jesus won't force you to follow him. Jesus is totally fair. He will not force you to follow him. And when you meet him in the next life, and you and I kneel down before him because everything will kneel before Jesus because there's no greater name, there's no greater power or authority, he will honor in that moment whether we knew him or whether we didn't. Because he's so good to respect our choices and our decisions. And so Jesus preached that then. The same words that we read here are available to us now. And Jesus says, do you want this? And if you do, today Jesus can begin to create this change in your heart that comes from the outside in, that liberates you, that gives you spiritual eyes of hope in the midst of a dark world. It's a beautiful world, but it's a broken world. But only you can respond and say, I believe. For those of us that have responded to a public invitation, we don't know it all. We don't have it all figured out. And faith is the evidence of things unseen. It means like we don't know how it's all going to play out, but we trust in Jesus because there's no one like him. No one's been able to offer us this. So those of us that are followers of Jesus are simply professing. We found in Jesus everything that we were ever after. And we have peace. And if we're walking with him consistently, we have contentment and satisfaction in him in a way that nothing else can provide that for us.